0: I got involved in local politics several years ago, and I just felt like as queer people, we were always represent, and this is no shade to the queer people who were in office in our city council before. They were great, and a lot of them endorsed my campaign, and I was very proud to have their support. But it was always just like gays and lesbians, which is great. We love the gays and lesbians. work. We stand. But there was never non-binary representation or trans representation um in our city council and in very few governing bodies across the country so i was excited to be the first non-binary candidate for city office in new york and the first drag artist that is one part of who i am but i'm also a gig worker who works in the nightlife industry and i know what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck Hi, I'm Derek
1: Mills, welcome to the GLOW podcast. Mark Osmondson, a GLOW teacher, returns as a guest host this week to interview his friend, Marty Gold Cummings. Marty is one of the best known drag performers in New York City, and they were the first non-binary person to campaign for city council in New York. Marty is a founder of Hell's Kitchen Democrats, a community group that engages people to organize for progressive issues. And they are on the board of the Alley Forney Center, the largest LGBTQ community center United States helping queer youth who experience homelessness. Marty and Mark discuss the importance of having queer and non-binary people in positions of power, city, state, and federal government. The journey to activism hasn't been easy and comes with a trigger warning. In this particular episode, Marty shares about their struggles with bipolar 2 disorder, depression, and a suicide attempt. But knowing you're not alone, Marty says, can contribute to healing. Here's Mark's conversation with Marty Gold.
2: Hello, hello, friends. Welcome on Back to the Glow podcast. My name is Mark, and I am so thrilled to be here again with you all today to have an amazing conversation uh, with the incredible Marty Gold Cummings i'm so excited to have you here how are you love
0: hi i am so grateful to join you today i was um i was seriously
2: trying to remember how we met or however long i've known each other and i seriously have no idea
0: i'm so bad at that game like i feel like (laughs) You know, I've been in New York for 17 years and okay. I so I just don't know how I know anybody, you know? Exactly, I, yeah. People just yeah. come into my life, which is wonderful. Um, but I don't know how I met any of my friends.
2: Yeah, I can't <laughs> I seriously could not remember. So I I've been here for 13, yeah, it'll be 13 years this week, um, which is really crazy. Yeah, and I just could not remember how we met. But Marty is an incredible, incredible performer. I dare say, icon and legend. <laughs> <laughs> We're okay. gonna talk you up. I dare say, uh, here in New York. Um, so it's just so wonderful to to have you and to share in this conversation because uh, your work is is really important, both as a performer as a as a political activist and just as a human being living life on this journey. Um, So, Marty, I just want to start a little bit. I want to just allow you to take the mic for a moment because uh, I've been really, really trying to allow people to talk about especially their young queer history Mm. because I, I really believe that all young queer children come from something. Empathy is is usually made through incredible pain. So I I really want to hear a little bit about your story um as a young person and and what kind of brought you to your work today. Oh boy. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a loaded question to start with, isn't
0: it? <laughs> yeah. Um Oh, gosh, I don't even know where to begin. Like, just like where, like my childhood?
2: Yeah, I just want to know, like, how maybe the arts impacted you as a young person or... Oh, was like, what... okay. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of have that cliche upbringing of like i grew up on a farm and i went to catholic school and i was okay, like yes you yeah, know, there we go there we go very <laughs> cliche um and you know it was like super effeminate and i played with my barbies and my Polly pockets and my my little oh, ponies yes. so i didn't mm-hmm. really have a lot of friends <laughs> uh, when I was uh in like elementary school. Um and I like, remember like my third grade birthday, like <laughs> no one came. Uh and so my mom like called all of my cousins and was like, you gotta you gotta come over. Uh um yeah, but like h- how like the arts kind of saved me. Like, I mean, I was such a <sighs> i was so queer uh like (laughs) my cousin sophie she lived in north carolina and she would come to visit um uh so like my grandmother's farm was next to her brother's farm which was next to their sister's farm and my cousin sophie uh is my first cousin once removed so like our grandmothers were sisters and but we're the same age so she would she would come to visit every summer and we would hang out like all summer long and she was like my best friend and uh she had this black duffel bag uh and it was like her bag of like dress up so i Mm. would always like play dress up with her and i like loved it and like all the skirts and the dresses and the costume jewelry and all of that stuff and Mm -hmm. so that's not really something that like you know uh was looked kindly upon by like the outside world i guess um and I like remember this distinct memory of when I was really young and it was Thanksgiving and everybody's over our house and I was with Sophie in my room and I she had like her little duffel bag with her and I like put like all of this stuff on and I came downstairs and I was so excited to show everybody like my cute dress and jewelry and my dad like yanked me into the other room. I was like, you have to take that off. Like you can't wear that. Like you can never wear that. Um, mm. And it like scarred me. I was like, there's something wrong with me. Like there's something like so. Effed up about me. Like, why is this bad? Whatever. But now as like an adult, I know like my dad, my dad who like sits the front row of my drag shows and is like super proud and like mm. has all the rainbow stickers on his car and all that crap. And, uh, but I now like look back and I know that it wasn't him being like, you can't do this. It was him being like, you can't do this because other people won't understand it. And it's going to make your life really difficult um, and hard, you know? And, uh, you know, so he was, trying to be loving, but it didn't really come out the best way. Uh, but, like, the art saved me because I remember Sophie uh, took me to see, uh, again, very cliche, she took me to see <laughs> a community theater production of Annie, and I was so excited seeing people like my age on stage just, like, living their life, singing and dancing and all this. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to do that. And so I went home and I told my mom, I was like, I have to do that. I have to do that. So I, like, signed up for, like, the summer theater camp and I was like hooked, you know? And, um, it like helped me like make friends who were yeah, like me and, uh, who liked the things I liked. And it wasn't like weird. Uh, like I wasn't weird there. Um, and it just was such an important, like pivotal moment in my, like my young self, uh, because it was the first time I really felt like seen, in a positive way. Um, and it was amazing.
2: Yeah, I feel like that's kind of the same for me as well. That's why I think that even as adults and and important in my work is about creating community
1: mm-hmm.
2: because it wasn't until I had found that community through dance, through performing, that I really started to be able to come into myself. And it's funny that you talk about that too, because I remember distinctly I used to grab the like cat, the little uh, blankets or uh, quilts and things. And I would drape them (laughs) and I would make these long dresses. And I remember uh, my mom, who again, is like my biggest fan now. And again, it comes out of self-love, but I remember her saying distinctly, act like a boy. Mm. You're a boy, like act like a boy. And I was like, okay, but, like, I'm also just, like, me. And, like, I just love that. You know, I was always so confused by the whole, like, act like a boy type of thing.
0: It's so weird how we, like, gender, like, kids play. Like, it's so weird. Like, I have this memory of, like, I was in kindergarten and Mrs. Bud, I remember she was very pregnant, so that kid is probably, like, 30 now. And uh, this girl, Bianca, I remember her name because she was... (sighs) a little uh, bad word. And uh, (laughs) we were playing house and uh, in kindergarten, like who cares, you know, we're playing house, whatever, uh, with a little kitchen set. And I remember like, I was like, I wanna like be the mom and like whatever and she like tattletailed on me for wanting to be the mom and mrs Bud was like you can't be the mom she was like you have to play the dad like moms are in the kitchen like i remember that she was like moms are in the kitchen dad i was like and now looking back i was like moms are in the kitchen like how screwed up is that and i remember like telling my mom this and my mom like growing up like my dad did all the cooking so i think actually yeah yeah so i think my mom was like offended by that not that i like wasn't allowed to play the mom she was it by that and my mom was a teacher at the school and I remember she like went in and like kind of yelled at Mrs. Bud uh, which was kind of cool of my mom
2: I mean yeah because these these conditionings happen at such a young age that, that it can be very very influential not just yeah. for you but for everybody around you
0: it was just so silly like I'm like what like what Bianca go drink some water like- yeah <laughs>
2: Take a seat.
0: Yeah, go touch grass. Like, relax.
2: Let's get your feet in that grass. So, I want, I think this is a good place because I want to. Obviously, uh, you all have heard a little bit about Marty in in the bio and uh, their incredible career as a drag performer. And I want to talk about Baby Shark.
0: (laughs) Okay. Do you know what's so funny?
2: Which we will link in the show notes. The audience can
0: see this, but I have on my desk a baby. shark that somebody gifted me at a show um yeah baby shark was such a weird uh phenomenon i guess you can call it like i was doing yeah. a drag brunch um uh with izzy uh uncut who's an amazing drag artist we did a weekly dra- drag brunch and you know drag brunch is during the daytime it's not at night so like it's in a restaurant and kids can come because it's not 21 and over. And, you know, we now mm-hmm. today, like Republicans are very up in arms about kids going to drag shows and that whole nonsense. Um, but this little kid, uh, God, this was several years ago now. So the kids probably like in like first grade now, but like, he was like two or three at the time uh, or three or four. I don't know. He was a little, uh, he, we were doing like a drag roulette, which is, a lot of drag artists do at the end of their show, where they are like, "Okay, we did our numbers. Now you, the audience, get to pick what we perform, and we're gonna lip sync it, whether we know it or not." And blah 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 blah. And so I saw this little kid, and he was so cute, and I was like, "Oh, and what? Like, what? What do you want to hear? Like Lady Gaga? <laughs> you know, like being silly." And he, <laughs> and he was like, "Baby Shark." Uh, and I was like, "Oh, okay, uh, we'll do Baby Shark, sure." And uh, somebody sent me the video of it after, and I put it on my Twitter just because I was like, "Oh, this was like a really cute moment at my brunch. Like, how sweet, whatever." And sorry if you can hear my dog like whining in the background. Um, <laughs> but uh, I put it on my Twitter and then I went to my friend's house to actually celebrate their twins one year uh, birthday. Uh, and I was like, oh, do the kids like baby shark? And and my friends are like, yeah, they're like obsessed with it. Uh, you know, they like bop their little like toddler heads to it. And uh, I was like, oh, well, like, look at this video from my brunch. And. Uh, like I had posted it maybe an hour before and it had like 10,000 views and I was like, Whoa, that's kind of cool. Um, and then, uh, by Woodrow, stop whining. I'm doing a podcast. Um, so <laughs> by like the end, like by the time I left their house, it had like a half a million views or something. And I was like, what is, Going on, and then the next day, I had all these news outlets like reaching out to me because the video had been like shared so many times, and it was like getting a lot of positive feedback. But of course, it was also Mm -hmm. getting a lot of really crazy, like neg, like people like calling me like a pedophile and all this stuff. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, what are what are you seeing in this video? You know, and and it was really kind of like traumatic in a way because it was such a joyful moment for this little kid and um and for everyone who was there you know it was really a beautiful joyful moment that kind of got like uh crapped on by like the alt-right and so um I was like well let's continue the positivity of it and so I uh, I, I had produced a reality show uh, a couple years before, and I called the producer, the other producers, the production company, and I was like, can we make a music video, a Baby Shark music video, and we can link, like, the Ali Fournier Center for Homeless LGBTQ Youth and the Hetrick Martin Institute, which is home of the Harvey Milk High School, and I was like, can we link them and, like, try to raise some money for these organizations off of this thing you know let's like raise some money for queer kids mm-hmm. and so we made the video and it was great and that went viral and then aoc shared that video so then i had like all these people who were like oh my god this is amazing this is so cute like we love it we're gonna donate blah blah blah. but then aoc shared it so it was like an even bigger onslaught of like crazy alt-right people yes like coming yeah. for me uh and this like thing and so then all these news outlets is then i was like all like good morning america and inside and all this stuff which is like cool fun whatever uh so then, I got invited to do a TED talk about how drag is for everyone, and drag is yeah. uh, about leadership and and teaching kids about acceptance and self love and kindness and and spreading joy, and how cyberbullying is really just like toxic. And I based my TED talk like pr- loosely off of Monica Lewinsky's TED talk, which you, if you're listening and you haven't watched her TED talk, please go watch Monica Lewinsky's TED talk. It will change your entire life, and, yeah, and- it's
2: incredible.
0: Monica and I have a lot of mutual friends, and we had connected um, uh, through them, and and connected at some event. I cried when I <laughs> met her. I was like so starstruck. Yeah. Uh, But we, like, kept in touch. And uh, I had mentioned to her that I did this TED Talk and and how hers had, like, inspired me because there was a huge portion of my TED Talk about cyberbullying, and she talks on hers about being kind of, like, the first Mm -hmm. person to be cyberbullied. Yeah, the first
2: person to be publicly shamed via the internet. yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And so then she shared my TED Talk. So then I had the original Baby Shark video, then the music video that AOC was, like, all about, and then the TED Talk that Monica shared. So it became, like, this even bigger... Thing, But I'm really grateful for it because it opened a lot of doors in a way to kind of have a dialogue about drag that now like has even further to, you know, this was a couple years ago, but now that dialogue is really heating up around drag queen story hour and where you have these alt-right people showing up at libraries with like guns and like screaming and shouting at families as they're going in and they're like, you're going to traumatize these kids. And I'm like, no, actually you're traumatizing the kids because you're outside with the gun screaming when the drag queen or drag king or whoever it is, is just trying to read the princess and the pea. Like well, this is, this is why I wanted
2: to talk to you about this because now it has become a point of attack. In in so many of these circles, because, the you know, I just don't understand how somebody dressed up in a fabulous costume, <laughs> reading a book to young people that are absolutely mesmerized, and showing what it means to be authentically yourself.
0: It's because they're grasping at straws, right? Like, we know that the vast majority of people support queer people in this country. Uh, and... So, like, white supremacy uh, is grasping at straws and is going after, and I say white supremacy because the alt-right is, I mean, they're the KKK with their hoods off and red caps have replaced the hoods. And they're going after, you know, uh, black people and immigrants and um, trans people and you know queer people and so drag queens are a great distraction for them yeah. to talk about as they know that like what has happened like their 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 president is like stealing classified documents the supreme court is like doing all these crazy rulings uh against reproductive justice and all of this stuff so it's a distract like there's mass shootings multiple times a day in this country um and they want to like distract from all of that and the way to do that is to say oh look drag queens are groomers and pedophiles and this is what they're doing to your kids it's all a distraction yeah Um, i mean it's
2: just like okay so we're not talking about actual
0: violence
2: happening in schools but let's actually attack this completely innocent well
0: exactly like what's traumatizing kids more having to do active shooter drills In school, like when we were kids, we did fire drills, which are tornado drills. Yeah, And, you know, but an active shooter drill is like mind boggling to me. And that like my ex sister-in-law lives in um, Amsterdam and she always says, like, they don't want to move back because they have four kids between the ages of like five and uh, 13. And she's like, I don't worry when my my kids bike to school every morning, like by themselves. We feel safe. She was like, I don't have to worry about them getting killed in school because it's just not a thing mm-hmm. here. And I was like, what a crazy thing that a parent has to think like, oh, I'm sending my kid to school or to the mall or to the movies or to the theater, and even us as adults, like it's so crazy that like whenever I go into. And I noticed myself doing this, whenever I go to the theater or a movie theater or a big shopping complex or any of those things, the first thing I do is look like, where's the exit? Yeah. How quickly can I get to the exit? And we shouldn't be living like that. So all of this noise is a distraction from, like you said, actual issues that are impacting people traumatically. Exactly.
2: And I think that's a great way for us to kind of lead into talking about your own political advocacy and running for New York City Council. I, I just want to hear more um, about that, like what inspired you to do that and 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 your journey with that.
0: I got involved in local politics, you know, several years ago and um uh, I just felt like as queer people, we were always represent and this is no shade to the queer people who were in office in our city council before. They were great, mm-hmm. and a lot of them endorsed my campaign, and I was very proud to have their support. But it was always just like gays and lesbians, which is great. We love the gays and lesbians. Work. Yeah, we stand. But there was never non-binary representation or trans representation um in our city council and in very few governing bodies across the country so Mm
2: -hmm.
0: um i was excited to be the first non-binary candidate for city office in new york and the first drag artist you know and and um that is one part of who i am but i'm also a gig worker who Mm -hmm. works in the nightlife industry and i know what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck and a lot of people not just in our industry but a lot of people relate to that in the city um you know uh uh taxi drivers uh, uh uh people who work in the service industry people who work in bodegas or uh people who clean your home or yeah what so many different industries are paycheck to paycheck gig workers without access to benefits or you know, uh, protect like paid sick leave or maternity leave or paternity leave or hazard pay or workers' comp or any of those things. So that was a huge. Platform issue I ran on because I had that experience as somebody who lived it. And um, Cause so
2: often in politics, it's the, the voice, there's not a lot of voices that actually represent the people that are the majority of the people that you're yeah. representing. It's like, you know, not everybody wearing a suit and tie knows the intricacies of my life and my work. And I think that's why people like AOC and things are very popular because it's somebody that actually lived an experience that I can relate to and understands the issues that I actually need help with. Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, politicians should be helping, not trying, you know, to make it about themselves.
0: (laughs) Very that. (laughs) Uh, Very that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Period. (laughs) uh, Yeah, it's just kind of like, I also... Am not super into like career politicians who just like keep running for the sake of keeping a job or people who keep running for office when they don't win one because they just want to be in power. And like people constantly ask me, like, are you gonna run again? Are you gonna run again? And I'm like, well, I don't know. It depends on like what is the office, what is the the climate of what's happening? Uh am I Can you I, make a change? You am know, I can... suited for that position at that yeah. time? Uh and, you know, I did consider running for city council again, but I'm going through a divorce. And I was like, this is not the time uh, to do it. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think it's like when people just keep running for different offices for the sake of doing it, I'm like, what is your intention for running yeah. for this? Is it because you want to, like, have this title that will get you a higher office at some point or whatever? Or is it because yeah. you actually want to do the work and you give a shit? Oh, sorry. Uh, you can swear. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, Yeah. You know, it's, uh, what is your intention? And my intention was to do the most amount of good for the most amount of people. Um, Mm. and that's why I, I ran.
2: And do you feel that in running, there was a lot of support or from obviously from the community, but from a lot of outside people in the community, like how, how did people really, what what was your kind of experience in the actual running of it?
0: Well, whenever you run for office, you're going to have people who love you, and then you're going to have people who hate you. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and because I was a drag artist who's non-binary, my, you know, there's 51 city council seats in New York. Sure, like local neighborhood press stuff focused on whoever was running in their district, but most people, you don't really know unless you're like very ingrained in like local politics, most people don't know who's running in like a district 10 miles away from them in another borough. Right. Our campaign because of it's like uniqueness of being a drag queen, got a lot of city press and national press and, and was very much put under a microscope in a way that like kind of like it was put under a microscope similarly to like a congressional candidate, which is like mm-hmm. rare for a city council race. And so, you know, there was a lot of people who, of course, were like super. So we raised more money than anybody else in our, there were 12 candidates. We raised the most money out of any uh, campaign in our district. And we had the most volunteers out of any campaign in our district. Mm. And uh, we, did the most like street visibility and, and phone banking and stuff. And we, and it worked. We came with ranked choice voting. Uh, we came in second place in number one votes. Um, wow. uh, and, and unfortunately uh, we, we, as ranked choice went on, we, we fell back. But the reason is because a lot of people who ranked the person who won number one, put me number two, but if they're not like eliminated, then those votes don't, go to me. Uh, oh yes.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: you know, to to be like the underdog candidate and to come in second place for number 1 vote. So it was monumental. And mm-hmm. um but of course there's a lot of people who like didn't like that I was running and that's fine. If I had won, I would still gladly represent them and their issues and fight for them because that's what the job entails whether you vote for me or not. My job is to represent you fairly and equally. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we touched on a lot of really important issues that I'm really proud of, you know, a uh, police budget that's severely inflated, uh, mm-hmm. education that is severely underfunded, especially in low income, black and brown parts of the district, um, you know, housing that is out of control and how tenants are taking advantage of, or excuse me, landlords are taking advantage of tenants and making Mm -hmm. sure that we're um, uh, not allowing people to lose their homes um, because of rising cost of living in this city. Um, Environmental justice on the local level, you know, our city, like, look at what's happening in Reese housing right now. There's arsenic in their water.
2: Oh my God.
0: Like, what the (laughs) fuck? You know, like, how? exactly (laughs) so it's things like that like we're still recovering from hurricane sandy which was how many years ago Mm -hmm. um and we're not prepared for the next storm like that so environmental justice is very much an issue in our city and most low-income housing is built on the water uh so they're the people who are going to be impacted the most um so those are the issues we ran on and i was really proud of that to center like yes we got all the attention because of who I am but we were able to use that attention to pivot to center on the issues that we were actually fighting for
2: yeah and even you know it's not always about winning it's about just putting it out there so that people can actually know that that's what's happening and I think for me I was I was super inspired just because of the visibility and putting yourself out there and you know
0: Yeah, well, you know it's interesting because I I I read this article after the election that was talking about the different wins across the city, and then they were like, and the way they worded it was like so kind of like screwed up to me. They were like, and like the high profile campaigns that were like the losers, (laughs) and I was like work uh but i was like and i (laughs) i I like tweeted or something about it i was like i don't think our campaign was a losing campaign at all we might not have gotten the seat but it wasn't a losing campaign at all because we really were able to talk to people about issues that were important and a lot of the things that we were fighting for are now things that are being presented as legislation um and things that weren't talked about before uh or in a very popular way. So I'm really proud that our campaign was able to like push these ideals, uh, different ideals forward. And I get messages all the time from uh, like young kids who are like, oh, I'm non-binary. And I never thought I would see myself represented in politics. I had somebody who volunteered in our campaign. They lived in Massachusetts and they would join our Zooms. Um, to do phone banking and they sent me a message one day and they were like, I just want to tell you, like I am joining these Zooms from like a facility because I tried to kill myself because I'm Mm -hmm. trans and my family uh, didn't accept me. And I read about your campaign and I could not believe that there was someone like us running for office. And they were like your campaign has made me not want to die. I have hope. Mm. And I was like, (sighs) like,
2: (laughs) I mean, Marty, I would have messaged you, you know, 13 year old me was totally thinking because I, as a young person was so into politics and public service. And I was such a advocate for community service. And as I got older, I furthered myself from it because I was like, well, there's no place for me. I can't be outwardly queer and like being in this space like it, it's not for me and I well, you know
0: we we have to be unapologetically queer. Like look at what's happening yes. with the the uh Biden appointed uh this guy Dimitri uh who's an incredible doctor to head up the monkeypox um uh kind of crisis that mm-hmm. our uh uh we're going through particularly uh the queer community and now like the crazy alt-right people are like sharing all these pictures of him like with like somebody with a puppy mask or him in a harness or leather at like a club. And I'm like, so what? So he likes to go to like fun leather kink parties. Great. He also is a brilliant, brilliant doctor who knows what he's doing and can really help people. There's somebody else who, um, uh, my friend Sam, who was appointed Uh, uh, by the president to uh, uh, head a, I can't remember what department it is, but they're like a, head of some big department. I'm blanking on what it is. Um, But uh, they like do drag sometimes and they, and they wear heels and like feminine clothing, like to the office. And they're like going after them. And I'm like, why do you fucking care what somebody wears? They're, they're a brilliant scientist. Like they're a brilliant scientist. It's, It's like, who knows like incredible, an incredible understanding of like, 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 like nuclear, Physics, or something like that, you know? Uh, and I'm sure that half of more, none of these assholes tweeting, they don't know anything about monkeypox or science no. or they don't know anything about nuclear physics or anything behind that, but they want to criticize these people. We have to be unapologetically queer and who we are and say what you want about the Biden administration. Like, good on them for appointing these people.
2: Yeah, because. Uh, it, just because somebody expresses themselves physically or in what they wear or culturally, because in our culture a lot of these parties and these different, you know, fetish things, it, it's just a part of our culture. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. Like you, then have pictures of a certain president's son murdering six crocodiles oh that picture and, made me mad i mean i'm like okay so that's it's just so wild to me or like they
0: want to shame they want to shame these people and this is not this is not shaming for this at all because i'm a big like listen i'm my nudes are out there like work bitch but like everybody's like oh m- like they're shaming these people for like going to whatever these events are but then they're like praising Melania Trump, who like very openly posed nude. Nothing wrong with that. She looks great in the picture, Slay. But like the the double standard and mm-hmm. the hypocrisy is so it's, yeah. strong. Mm-hmm. Um and that's the issue. Like the hypocrisy and the double standard, and just it's it's wild to me. But representation matters. It's so important. And um and I I, I you know, I do a lot of out of town gigs and I always have Uh, people coming up to me at those gigs you know uh i've had a lot of young people say that they've been inspired to run for office and have run for office Mm. because of our campaign and so like if a newspaper wants to say oh we're losing campaign work bitch we're not we we did incredible work and um and the work continues like the advocacy doesn't stop just because the election is over doesn't mean the work um ends
2: exactly And the representation is something that I've talked about a little bit on this podcast before, because I, uh, Marty and I were were both at this uh, gala for an LGBT organization called Encircle together Mm. that that builds uh, homes and places for young people to have a space to be themselves, or if they've been kicked out by their families in in Utah and in very, very, um, for lack of a better word, conservative states and places. And I uh, was of course posting because I was wearing the most fabulous feeling myself. And I I haven't had a a viral moment like this in a minute. And of course there was so much love, outpouring of love, but the amount of hate of of the people that cannot wrap their head around a quote unquote boy, wearing a dress, I just was blown away. And I, you know, I live in a bubble sometimes and I forget how this is extreme in so many ways. And and I just keep coming back to the necessity of us being out there, of putting it out there because there are younger people that are feeling so ostracized and so alone. And if we can just keep sharing and putting ourselves out there, even if it makes us feel anxious at times, overwhelmed, I mean, it's, it's, I feel like it's my job. It's, it's my thing, you know? Yeah.
0: I mean, I feel, I sometimes feel pressure about it, but I also like, it's a big responsibility to be someone who, who, like a lot of people are like looking at, right? Like Mm -hmm. looking for representation or looking for how can I take that person down? You know, it like goes, and that happens, you know, like as many people are like supportive, just as many people are not. But Mm -hmm. I also know that like all of that is just noise. And at the end of the day, there's some little kid or some teenager in Massachusetts who wanted to, or some 35 year old, or some 35 year old, (laughs) whoever it is, whoever it is, you know? And it's like, I don't know. I just think every queer person should just be loudly, unapologetically themselves at all times, Mm -hmm. as scary Mm -hmm. as that can be.
2: Mm -hmm. And that, cause I, I've even had some people recently, um, you know, twice my age be like, this has helped me become more authentic and seeing, you know, seeing myself in these spaces. And I just... I'm so reminded cause I just get in my head and like second guess things and feel like I'm just extra.com all the time. <laughs> and then I'm like, Oh wow. Just the importance of putting it out there. If you have the voice and you're able to,
0: it's so important. And like, I, you know, before I was married, uh, you know, I, I got married in my twenties and I'm now 35 and like before I was married and before I had met my, my, uh, now ex-husband, um, I had a lot of fear about like being effeminate and like Mm -hmm. dating and sex and how people viewed me and like all this stuff. And now I'm like a bitch. I'm I'm (laughs) queer and like I'm living my best life. And like and that's because I see a lot of people, you know, uh, who are just like wearing what they want. You're a great example of this. Like you've empowered me in a lot of ways because it's just like, you know, we can wear whatever we want. Like, if it makes you feel sexy, if it makes you feel good about yourself, like, wear it. Who cares? Like, wear it. You know, we get one life and that life can end at any moment and Mm -hmm. without warning. So live unabashedly yourself. And I know that there's places in this country and in this world where that's easier said than done. Right? Yes. Yeah. So I feel a great responsibility to live my big, queer, authentic life. So those people in in those places where they can't do that can say, oh, my God, there are people like me who are fighting for me, who believe in me being myself. And hopefully that gives them a glimmer of hope. And then maybe they can start to do that in their community and make some change in their community or they can find community there, you know, or find community online, connect with people, you know, Um, because we as queer people have to be there for each other and then we as queer people you and me as white queer people have to stand up and say like there is racism within our own community Mm -hmm. what are we doing to protect black and brown trans women who are being murdered and attacked what are we doing to protect uh trans people in queer spaces mm-hmm. or people of different races in queer spaces you know this is like a big thing i i don't see it so much uh, like i used to but it is still a thing where people write on their grinder like no asians like what the fuck is that about like yeah you're just openly being racist in your grinder like knock it off you know like yeah. because if we
2: don't push the change then it, nobody's gonna do it like we come from a lineage of having to fight for every single thing that we have. And, like, people fought and literally gave their lives protesting and fighting for me to be strutting around like I'm doing. Yes, and, like, you know,
0: everybody now is like, oh, I love drag, I love drag. And then they'll, like, be, like, racist to the queens of color who are on Drag Race. And I'm like, do you not know that the first drag queen in America, William Dorsey Swan, mm-hmm. was somebody who had been enslaved? Mm-hmm. Like... Know your history. Do you not Mm -hmm. know? Everybody's like, oh, it's so great. Pete Buttigieg, so great. Yes, great work. We love representation. But also, like, know the history that the first openly queer person to run for office was uh, um, a Latinx uh, drag artist in San Francisco in 1961. Jose Sarria, know your history. It's because of black and brown trans women that queer liberation was even something that began, you know? Uh, So it's it's... We have to know our history and respect it and continue to fight for those who fought for us.
2: Yeah, because you also see the pride. You know, pride has become such a commercialized thing. Yeah, and it it just kind of completely misses the point of what we're trying to do here. Uh, Yeah. Uh... And. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Very that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and with that, I, I really want to talk as well because, uh, you know, you had mentioned, I've always felt, it's only been the past couple years, that stepping into my power and my gender, whatever you want to call it that I've actually been able to find more of my authentic self and my true happiness. Because I very much so felt as a young queer person that I had to be masculine, otherwise nobody would love me. Hmm. I mean, that was literally the, you know, that was all the images, all the imagery. And I think that's another important part of my work now is to just put out there that you can be whoever you want to be and people are drawn to your love and your authenticity whoever you you want to
0: be and also allow yourself to evolve as a person like i'm Mm -hmm. 35 who i am at 35 is not who i was at 30 or 25 or 20 or 15 you know i've learned a lot of shit and i guarantee i have a lot more to learn throughout mm-hmm. my life which is exciting it's yeah. exciting to learn and when you make a fuck up learn from it and know okay yeah. now i when you know better you do better you know that famous quote from from yeah. my angelo and um you know when i came out as non-binary i was super fucking scared and uh but i always let you know so like i remember being a little kid uh in my kitchen and my mom was in the kitchen and i was like like i don't know like five or six years old and i have this distinct memory of looking up at her and being like i think i was born in the wrong body and she's like what are you talking about and i was like i don't know i just think i was born in the wrong body like what and i would never heard that expression or anything at like five. that at five like where would i hear that on my farm in catholic school yeah uh, pre-internet right ETW. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> i mean i'm old no, there was no internet that <laughs> so so then when i came out at 14 my only reference point was like jack on will and grace and i was like okay well, i guess this is w- mm-hmm. what i am and the butt
2: of everybody's jokes that's yeah, all yeah, yeah, queer yeah. representation was
0: and i was like i guess that's what i am work but and so like i came out but i still felt this like missing piece and so as i got older and language evolved and we started like talking about gender flu- fluidity and 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 uh, gender being a spectrum and a construct and all these things and i really started to like you know, in therapy and through meditation and I go to AA and like through like my work in AA and like during the steps and like all that stuff. I, I was like, Oh, that thing I said to my mom when I was five and that missing piece that I still felt when I came out, like it wasn't fully connected, even though I'd come out, like there was still something not syncing up there. Uh, I finally had the language for it. And I was like, Oh, I'm not male or female. I like yep. fall in the middle. Work. How amazing. Yeah. Um, but I was super scared of that, you know. But then once I I came out again, you know, I, I, later in my life at, at 30, I think is when I came out as non-binary. Uh, 30 or 31 and I'm 35 now. And But when I did that, I was able to really be like, oh, it makes sense. Yeah. I yeah. get it
2: now yeah and that self or exploration is so important and i feel like people kind of lose it and don't understand that we are constantly evolving and constantly figuring out who we are at all times and yeah you know, the more that you do the more you learn to like really love yourself and what's
0: great is like years down the line like maybe something i'll discover something else about myself exactly how yeah. exciting yeah for me, a lot
2: of my work as well comes from me trying to give exactly what I need to myself. And, you know, I, I talked about this a little bit on the podcast before, but just my, my own struggle with self-worth and with, you know, treating myself with loving kindness is because I need it myself. Because I you know the the reason why i I create movement and create meditation for people is because it's what I need. It's the reminders that I needed myself, the loving kindness that I give to myself, and that's why I feel so passionate about bringing it to other people.
0: Well, I mean, we have to be kind to ourselves. Our inner saboteur is strong, honey. You know, like uh, self-doubt and anxiety and self-deprecation are like a huge thing. And insecurities about finances or Mm -hmm. uh, body, your body or what other people think of you or where where am I at in my life compared to other people. Like all that shit that Mm -hmm. we shouldn't care about, but we
2: do. Obsessed you know? over. I mean, my, yeah, my like, therapist could write a book on just this uh, <laughs> part of my life. <laughs>
0: like we shouldn't care about it, but we do. And then sometimes it becomes super, super heavy. And like, and you have to be kind to yourself. Like I, you know, was diagnosed with bipolar two disorder and depression and anxiety. And I was like, oh my God, like how, this is fuck, you know, and I tried mm-hmm. to commit suicide this year. Not great. Like, thank mm-hmm. God I'm not in that space anymore. Like I got my meds adjusted, whatever. But like all those things, you have to be kind to yourself and say, okay. Being diagnosed with this stuff, it's no different than being diagnosed with diabetes. It's no different than being diagnosed with, you know, uh, name a disease. Your brain is a muscle and an organ that can have things happen to it. So we as a society put so much shame and stigma around these things when actually, this is a part of our body. You know, Mm -hmm. your body goes through things. So I had to really... And still do tell myself like, there's nothing wrong with you because of this, you know? Okay, so I I went through a bad couple of months. It got really heavy, tried to hang myself, super scary. Glad I didn't succeed at it. But like that happens to a lot of people. And even if you don't try to do the act, more people than not think about that at some point in their life. Mm -hmm. So if we don't talk about it, and we don't normalize that this is something people go through, then we're all just going to sit in our shit and suffer and not get help. And then possibly the outcome could be really drastic, right? So we have to talk about these things, about being kind to ourselves, reaching out to others, sharing how you're feeling, knowing that you're not alone, knowing that it is normal to go through these things and that we have to find Moments of like, whether meditating for you is just like taking like three minutes in the shower to like pause and breathe or having like an hour long meditation, everybody's different, or maybe it's reading Mm -hmm. a book, maybe it's going for a walk, listening to a podcast, whatever it is, but taking those moments of self care so you can movement, you know, you talked about movement, dance, yoga, running, whatever it is for you uh it's so important because we have to have and i'm not speaking about religion i'm speaking about spirituality they're two totally different things uh Mm -hmm. so for me it's about finding like a spiritual connectedness so i don't get into those dark negative places Mm -hmm. so i can quickly pull myself out of them when i am in those dark negative places and not being afraid to ask for help um because there is no shame in that and i think we put such a stigma on that. Um, I don't know if I just completely went off track on a tangent, but
2: Oh my God, no, this is, this is everything. This is, (laughs) (laughs) this is the bones of it all. No, I feel the same way. And I feel like we are trying to make it seem like all healing is the same and healing is not the same. And, and even if it worked for you a year ago, it doesn't work for you now, or it, it doesn't matter, but focusing on your healing, yeah is the number you know it's it's about i talk about this a lot with my work too. whole body wellness it's not you know you know the body or you know the the musculature of the body the outwardness has nothing to do with the wellness of your whole body
0: you can be the most fit person (laughs) but girl if your spirit's (laughs) fucked like It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter.
2: Or if you're miserable, it doesn't matter. You know, nothing matters. It only matters about you, what you were saying, achieving that, that spiritual grace and arriving at that place where you can attach yourself to the real essence of why we are on this earth, which is to live in loving kindness yes. for ourselves and flow through to other people. Yes.
0: And sometimes it's really hard to get to that place. And that's okay. Also like, don't beat yourself up if you can't no, get there. It's okay to
2: lean into that. Cause guess what you're doing is then you're just yes. <laughs> leaning into making yourself feel bad, yeah, which well, is what we're trying to move away from. But
0: like also lean into the discomfort. Like I mentioned earlier, like I'm like in the thick of a divorce, like right now mm-hmm. and it sucks. It sucks. Like, if anybody's listening and you've been divorced, like, you get it. It sucks so bad. Mm -hmm. And, but I'm leaning into the discomfort of it. As hard as that is, like, leaning into, like, okay, today I feel really heartbroken. Today I feel really sad. Today I feel really angry or today i feel relief today i feel Mm. freedom today i feel acceptance or joy whatever those feelings are in that day i try to lean into them and know like whatever this feeling is negative or good like it's only for now lean into it and work on the acceptance of it like okay this has happened this is a pivotal moment of my life now how can i turn this trauma of the ending of this marriage into something good for myself. So for me and everybody's different, but for me, it's leaning into, uh, tapping into, uh, self love and giving self affirmations when I don't believe it looking at like, and this is like cliche also, but looking at myself in the mirror and be like, you are sexy. You are Mm -hmm. desirable. You are smart, intelligent, funny, kind, flawed. Like you are like like all of these things and 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 leaning into that and knowing that like my marriage wasn't a failure, you know? Uh and that I'm not a failure because of it. And connecting with the spirituality of it of knowing like this is just for now. And because of all of this, I will learn a lot of lessons and I will Hopefully, grow from those lessons so i can be someone who loves myself and in loving myself i'm able to put that love into other people whether it's platonic friendships or sexual partners or whoever i end up with next if that is something that the universe deems will happen for me right um and like i don't know that's what it's all about like tapping into the discomfort and like, and and working through it so you can get to the other side um, in a yeah, positive you have way. To,
2: you have to meet yourself where you are. Yeah. And you have to have an introspection so that you know how you're feeling. Ask yourself, how am I feeling? Like, actually, how am I feeling? Instead of just covering things up, and for me a lot, I'm like, I'm fine, I'm fine. Everything oh. is, I'm fine. No, I'm Girl. fine. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I told you before we started recording, I had therapy. Right before this recording. And my therapist, who I love, was like, okay, I feel like you're just telling me like a story. How do you feel? He yeah. was like, I get like, he was like, yes, 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 yes. Like your stories are great. I hear you. How does that make you feel? What are you like? What is going on? And don't tell me like the telenovela of it. Like, what yeah. is going on inside? with how is your body registering this mm-hmm. and I pause and I just started crying and I was like well I feel like that yeah. <laughs> yeah I was like I feel and then like my throat got a little tight and my shoulders. and he was like okay your throat sounds a little tight I see you tensing up so what is this feeling how are you registering it in your body how is your body connecting to these emotions and then when I talked through it, my body started to relax. Mm. My voice came back the way it normally is because I was able to like release that feeling in the moment and say, you know what, I feel, I'm telling you the story about how I feel angry, but how I actually feel is like really heartbroken. Mm. And And I'm not allowing myself to feel heartbroken because it makes everything that's going on. It's easier to be angry. Yeah. Uh, But heartbroken, I have to tap into that like vulnerable instead of just being like, I hate him. This sucks. Like, fuck him. Like, you know, but when I say, Oh, I'm heartbroken for the life together lost. I'm heartbroken for, Mm. The good years we had together, I'm heartbroken for not knowing what the future holds, you know, but when I was able to like, say that out loud, instead of it, like projecting it as anger, my body like released in a way where I was able to like cry about it and say, okay, that's how I'm feeling. And that's okay. And then I came out of that session being like, all right. I tapped into it. I feel better about it. Now, what is my plan of action for the day? I'm going to go to this podcast. I'm going to have fun doing it. I'm going to go to the gym. (laughs) I'm going to go to the gym because I want to release some endorphins. I'm going to go to my Mm -hmm. AA meeting and connect with some, some sober fellows. And then I'm going to come home and I'm going to put my stories on and I'm going to fall asleep and get a good night's rest. And that's like now my plan of action for the day. And that relieves so much tension knowing, okay, I'm going to practice self. I'm going to practice self care and self love. So when I go out into the world, I'm not projecting like anger and snapping at people. Instead, I can say, okay, I feel heartbroken today. Uh, I acknowledge it. I accept it. And I'm not going to internalize it and I'm not going to take it out on other people. And, uh, that's like so freeing.
2: Yeah, because when you accept how you're feeling, you can actually move past it. It's the blocking yeah. things, it's the blocking, it's the holding onto that perpetuates it and keeps it going. Yes. But yeah, the moment that we accept exactly how we're feeling, that we can honestly just live in that uncomfortableness and accept what it is, accept that it will pass, and then we can move on from there. And we can feel different.
0: Absolutely, uh, I
2: love <sighs> it. Well, that's a really beautiful, beautiful place, Marty. To to finish our conversation, um, I cannot thank you enough for for joining me. And um, where can people find you as well? We'll we'll link everything in the
0: show notes. Oh, I'm on the Twitter. And Instagram, twits. and like I have a TikTok, but I'm old and I don't know how to work it. Um, <laughs> we're working
2: on that. It's in it's a reboot. Yeah, it's we're a...
0: we're working on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm super grateful for this dialogue, and thank you for inviting me. And I look forward to joining you on the dance floor again very yes, soon.
2: <laughs> exactly, Marty and I have uh, been, had a bit of a resurgence with with nightlife lately, so um, we're we're enjoying
0: ourselves. There. We're enjoying it. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Uh,
2: Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Again, it's it's such a pleasure to be with you all and to bring these really, really important conversations. So I really appreciate it. And um, thank you, Marty. Thank Thank you. you. And have a beautiful um, rest of your day, everybody. Thanks. Thank you to our entire
1: team behind the scenes at GLOW. I'm so grateful for your care and commitment to serving our members around the world. Thank you to our teachers for so beautifully sharing your gifts and talents. I'm also grateful to our lovely community of GLOW members. You've supported us since 2008 and because of you, we get to continue to do the work we love. It's the combined support of our team, our teachers, and our community that grants me the privilege to continue to bring you the GLOW podcast. Thank you to Lee Schneider and Red Cup Agency for production support. And the beautiful music you're hearing now is by Carrie Rodriguez and her husband, Luke Jacobs. And remember, take care of yourself because our world needs you. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. You can find the Glow Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or glo.com slash podcast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Derek Mills.